0: Amen. Amen. All right. Well, it is, um, it's good to be with you guys today here at West campus, um, preaching live from West campus. I'm excited about that. And, um, I want to say hi, give a shout out to the St. John campus. Who's joining us right now and the North campus and the South campus. They're all, uh, joining in right now. So hi to all you guys. And I want to invite you to open up your Bible to the book of John chapter one, verse four, John chapter one, verse four. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. I'm going to have the scriptures um, behind me on the screen. But today is the second Sunday um, in a series that we're calling God Loves. And what we're doing in the series is we're taking sort of a look at God's heart, at the things that he loves, that he cares about, so that we can live out the heart of God in our lives, that so we can love what it is that he loves. And um, it turns out today... In um, our country is a day that our country celebrates what's called Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to take a look at one of the subjects that you see really over and over and over again in the scripture, and that is God's love and his value that he places on life and specifically human life. That's what we're going to kind of look at today. Now, it hit me um, as I was preparing for this that when we talk about something like the value and the sanctity of human life, it sort of dawned on me that um, throughout um, the whole of Austin Stone today that are going to be hearing these messages, there are more than likely um, some women that have had abortion in their past, and that's sort of part of their story. And um, if that's you today, I, I hope that more than anything today that you're reminded um of the love of God for your life. And there's no sin in your life or there's no sin in my life that defines us or is more powerful or more strong than the blood and the love of Jesus Christ. So no matter what is said today, I want you to remember that as we walk through this today. <clears throat> now, I wanna ask you guys a question. <clears throat> when we get started, <clears throat> when I say the phrase, the sanctity of human life or the value of human life, what comes to mind? Um, I think it's different for different people. I think for, for a lot of us, when we hear the phrase sanctity or value of human life, we automatically think about the unborn. <clears throat> we think about abortion. For others of us that when we hear the phrase the value or the sanctity of human life, what immediately comes to mind are maybe some injustices that people of color face in our country. Still others of us, when we hear that phrase, the sanctity of human life, uh, we think about uh, refugees or immigrants that are coming into our country and how they're being treated. And I don't know, guys, if you've noticed this or not, but that topic, the subject the value or the sanctity of human life is one of the most um, probably contested and controversial topics that we're dealing with as a country and as a culture. And because of that, and I want you to hear this, that I think it's absolutely critical. It's critical that as Christians, as followers of Christ, that we have a biblical understanding of how God views and how God thinks about human life. I think it's critical as Christians that we understand, that we know how God thinks about human life so that, listen, we can respond to these views and we can think about these issues and we can... um, Walk through these issues not primarily as Republicans or as Democrats, but as Christians who are who are informed on these issues and, and sort of view these issues the way that God does. You know, and our downtown congregation pastor, his name's Tyler David, and he says something a lot that I've been thinking about a lot lately. He says that God's story is always a better story. You know, God's story is always a better story, and he says that the answer that God gives to our questions are always better answers, okay? And that's what we're doing today. We're going to look at God's story, and we're going to look at his answers when it comes to life. And so if you're taking notes today, this is a really quick message. Um, it's probably 25, 30 minutes max, and I'm, we're going to do three things. We're going to get three reasons why God loves and values life so much. That's it. I'm going to give you three reasons why God loves and values life with the hope that whatever the topic, whatever the situation that you face as an individual or us as a culture, that we can offer the world a better story and that we can give better answers to the questions that people are asking. Okay, so here's the first reason. We're going through three. Here's the first reason that God loves and values human life. And it's this. God loves life because God is life and is the author and creator of life. It's the first reason God loves life, because he is life, and he is the author, and he is the creator of life. Now, let's turn to John 1, 4 here, and let's take a look at it. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of nerd out a little bit in some original language and the scripture, go kind of dive deep, looking at this stuff. So ADD people, hang with me today. Um, but John chapter 1, verse 4, let's read this together. <clears throat> in verse uh, 4, he says, This is John speaking about Jesus. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So John's talking about Jesus. He just a second ago said that Jesus is God, and then he says this. He says, in him was, in Christ was life. That's an interesting claim. What does he mean by that? That in Jesus was life. Now, to understand what John is trying to teach us and what he's trying to say to us, it's helpful to go to the original language and sort of read it literally from the Greek because Greek puts different emphasis on different words and moves words around. So when we translate that into English, it says, in him was life. But in the Greek, the verse literally, literally reads, in him, life was. In him, life was. And, and, the, and the word for was there is key. To understand what it is that John is saying, okay, that word was is a Greek word "I may," which means this. It means to exist eternally. Okay, so literally, what John is saying here about Jesus in John one four is in Jesus, life has eternally existed. Life has existed eternally in the person of Jesus. <clears throat> in John fourteen six, Jesus literally says this about himself. In the famous verse, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Have you ever wondered when you read that what Jesus meant by him saying, I am the life? What does he mean by that? Well, that word I am there is the same uh, Greek word I may, which means to exist eternally. And so what Jesus is saying is that I have existed eternally as life. Okay, so when John and and John 1, 4 says that in Christ, Jesus has existed eternally, he's not saying that Jesus is alive. That's true. But it's infinitely more than that. He's saying that Jesus, who is God, listen, is by his very definition, life. And so if somebody were to come up to you and they were to ask you the question, if they were to say, hey, could you define for me life? How would you define life? What the Bible is saying in the claim of the scripture is that the answer that, to that question is that the definition of the word life is God. He is life. That's who he is. And so the implication of that is that since he is life, right, and he has existed eternally, then any life that has come from or any, uh, any life that's come after him is the result of him. It was created by him because only life can create life, okay? And so in him was life. He's existed eternally. So any life that's come has come from the person of Christ. Now, let's turn quickly to Genesis 2-7 because I want to show you how life created life and how life is the result of life in God and in Christ. In Genesis 2-7, it says, Then the Lord God... Formed the man, dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Okay? And so the Bible tells us that when God created us, he formed us, which I'm gonna talk about in a second. He formed us, and then he stooped down and he got face to face with us, which is cool. And it says that he breathed his breath of life into us. And so think about that. The very first air that man ever breathed was the breath of God. And then it goes on. I want you to watch what happened. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. Watch what it says. It said, and the man became a living creature, right? And so because God is life, that's who he is when he breathed his breath of life into us, you and I began to live, okay? So it's very simple. God loves life. Number one, God loves life because God is life and is the author and the creator of life. Now, here's the second reason that God loves life, and this is really cool. Um, The second reason is that God loves life because we, as humans, are the workmanship of God. God loves life because we are the workmanship of God of God. Now, what does that mean? I saw something in the scripture this week that I've never seen before. I've probably heard it at some point in my life and just forgotten it, but I saw this and I've never paid attention to it. And it's really, really cool. It's incredible. And when we, when we start getting it, when we see it, then it starts making all the sense in the world of why God values and places so much value on human life. And I'll show you what I'm talking about. Look at Genesis 2, 7 again, and I want you to watch how God created man. Like how he actually did it. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, then the Lord God formed the man. If you actually have one of those old school Bibles with like paper in it, I want you to underline that. Formed the man. It says, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground, then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Theological question for you. Don't shout it out. But up to this point in Genesis, how has God created everything? Up to this point, in Genesis, how has God created everything? Well, to this point, before he created man, everything he created, he spoke it into existence. He spoke it into existence. The Scripture says that God said, "Let there be light, and there was light." The scripture says, God said, "Let the earth, let the earth sprout vegetation." and the earth sprouted vegetation. Every single solitary thing up to this point in the Scripture, He just spoke it. And it happened. Okay? But look at Genesis 2 7 one more time, and watch how God created man. Genesis 2-7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man, of the dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The Scripture says that when God created man, He didn't speak him into existence, but He formed him. And that's a Killer word in the original language. In the original language, that's the exact same word that's used for when a potter forms a piece of pottery with his hands. What hit me this week, and, I, and I'm sure I've learned this at some point, but just missed it. Church, God created you and I differently than every single other part of creation. You know, one of the, one of the, the greatest indications that something has value Is when it's handmade. You know what I'm talking about? That's one of the greatest indications that something has value is when it's handmade. Let's say, for instance, you had a friend, it was your birthday and your friend got you this really cool, ornate leather bag and they gave it to you for your birthday. And it was amazing. And you look down at it and it has a little sticker on it that said made in China. That, that, That bag would still mean a lot to you. It's still beautiful. It's still awesome. But in the back of your mind, you kind of know, well, okay, it was probably made on some assembly line in China somewhere. And that's great. It's a cool bag. I love it. But if it didn't have that sticker, if it didn't say made in China, and you look down at it, you can't find the sticker anywhere. And you look at your friend and say, hey, how is this made? This is gorgeous. How, how is this made? And your friend looked back at you and said, well, I made it. I made it with my own hands. I, I handmade that. Then that, that bag instantly has more value because it was handmade by someone that loves you. And church, I just want you to let that rest on your heart today. That what the Bible just told us is that you and I were handmade by God. Men and women were so valuable to him. Men and women were so special to him. We were so much more important than all of creation that he didn't just speak us into existence, but he reached down and he formed us with his own hands. And then he got face to face with us and breathed his breath into us. And that is when you and I began to live. And that's why in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship. For we, that's you and me, are his workmanship. And that word workmanship In the Greek is literally the Greek word. It's pronounced poema, which is where we get our English word poem. And church, let it rest on your heart again. What this is saying to us is that human beings and human beings alone are the handcrafted artwork of God. We are the the only part of creation. That are the handcrafted artwork of God. And that's why in all the other things, God looked at it and said, that was good. When God looked at man and woman, he looked at it, his handcrafted artwork and said, that is very good. And that alone, that alone ought to start radically changing your understanding, of sort of how we are to view life in any form, especially human life. Because of how much God values it. We're the handcrafted artwork of God. But here's the thing. Let me say this. (laughs) One of the things I sort of realized is that um, I hear a lot of people say and talk about how they sort of get that God values humanity as a whole. And that God values human life as a whole. But what they struggle with is really believing that God values them as a person. You know, they know their sin. They know how messed up they are. They know their flaws. They know, you know, things they would change about themselves. And so like, okay, I get that God loves humans. He loves humanity. I'm just not quite sure that God loves and values me. And I've struggled with that myself. But I want to show you real quickly a familiar verse. that sort of just kind of blows that out of the water. But, uh, but it's Psalms 139.13. 13. And I learned something else about this verse this week. It's one other thing I, I just didn't know this what this meant, but it's really cool. Psalm 139, 13. This is David speaking, he's speaking directly to God. And he says, God, for you formed my inward parts. And you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And so David is praying to God, and he says this listen, he says, God, you formed my inward parts. Okay? He uses the word formed, or that's how it's translated in English. And at first glance, he seems to be saying the exact same thing in Genesis 2-7. It seems like David is saying, God, you, you formed, you handmade my inward parts. But listen, the word form that he uses in Psalm 139 is a completely different Hebrew, Hebrew word than what's used in Genesis 2-7. The, the word that David uses... When he says, You formed my inward parts, he uses the Hebrew word kana, K-A-W-N-A-W. Now listen, it doesn't mean handmade, like in Genesis 2. Kana is a Hebrew word that means to acquire or possess something. To acquire or possess something. Don't turn there, just listen. In Genesis 14:9, the scripture says that God the Most High, He is the possessor. That's kana. He is the possessor of heaven. And so what that's saying is that, that heaven belongs to God. Okay, so keep that in mind, that, that King uh, David is saying, God, you you my inward parts, okay? Now look at uh, Psalm 139 again. David says, for you formed, you can all my inward parts. And then he says this, he says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. That word knitted, Hebrew word, takusent, listen, it means to cover with a hand of protection. It's a word that was used every other time in the scripture when, when God was covering something with his hand of protection. You see that in, uh, in Exodus 33, when Moses hanging out with God and he asked to see the glory of God, he goes, he says, God, I wanna see your glory. And God said, I can't show you my glory or you'll die. So here's what I'll do. Moses, I'm gonna put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm gonna cover you, takusent. With my hand, and I'm gonna pass by. God covered him in order to protect him. So read the verse one more time. Psalms one hundred thirty nine thirteen. For you formed, you canaw my inward parts, you knitted, you tachusip me in my mother's womb. Church, this is literally what David is saying. What David is praying to God, it's really cool. He's saying, when I was, God, when I was in my mother's womb, you claimed me from the inside out. And when I was in my mother's womb, you covered me with your hands. And that's, that's beautiful that what the scripture's teaching us, people, is that from the moment of your creation, from the moment of your conception, from the second of your conception, God put his hand on you and said, this one belongs to me. And so what that means is profound. That means is that you're not an accident. That means is that you're not a mistake. What that means for all of us is that we are not flawed. It means that you and I are not some fluke of evolutionary or genetic chance. Why? Why? Because before you were born, before you had ever lived a day, before you had ever done anything good or bad, the Lord God Almighty formed you with his hands. He breathed his life into you. He claimed you and he covered you and said, this one belongs to me. Gosh, why do we value human life? Because God loves life. God loves life. He is, he, he is life. And he's the author and creator of life. And why do we love life? Because God loves life. Why does he love life? Because we are the workmanship of God. We're the handmade artwork of God. And he put his hands on us and said, this one's mine. And here's the last one. God loves human life because we bear his image. Now, guys, this is one of those phrases that if you've been around church for a while, it's one of those phrases that you hear a lot, but if you're anything like me, most of the time you don't know what it means, okay? You've probably said it before, you've probably prayed it, you've heard it preached, that we bear the image of God, but you don't know quite what it means. Well, here's what it means, really cool. Um, Genesis 1.25, God is creating the animals, and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish and stuff, I want you to just watch what it says about it. Genesis 1, It said, God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind and God saw that it was good. Okay, so God's creating the animals, the birds and stuff and it says he created them after um, their kind. But then he decides that he's gonna create man and woman. Okay, and I want you to listen to how God said he wanted to create man and woman. In Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us, talking about the Trinity there, let us make man in our image, in our image, and according to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over the over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so the scripture just told us that what distinguishes man and woman from every other part of creation is not that we were handmade, but there's something else. We were created in his image, okay? Now, here's the thing. To remember, cows were not created in the image of God. Dogs were not created in the image of God. Sorry, dog people, they were not. Um, Cats were certainly not created in the image of God, amen? (laughs) But the Bible says that you and I were, that you and I were. And when you understand what that means, it's really, really powerful. The word image is a Hebrew word to sell them. And it's a word, hear this, don't miss this. It's a word that, um, As it was used in ancient literature to mean the representation of someone's rule and reign. And so an image was uh, the representation of someone's rule and reign. And an example of that would be like Caesar's head on a coin. And back in the day, you would see, you know, Caesar's head on a coin. And, and, um, and that would be something that was created in Caesar's image. And it was meant to be a reminder to everyone who saw the coin and saw Caesar's image that, uh, that he was the king, that he was in charge, and that he ruled and he reigned, okay? And so um, my fingers are sticking to my notes, and I turn the page, and it's my last page, so that's good. Y'all see where God is going with this? You see what he's doing? God created the birds of the air. He created the beast of the field, created the fish of the sea, and he said, that's good. But then he said, let's make something that's in our image. And he did that so that everyone that saw man and woman would be reminded of the rule and the reign of God and his kingdom. Just let that sink in. You, if you're here today and you're alive, you are an image bearer of God. Almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he did not put his image on a coin. He did not put his image on a statue. He didn't put his image on some billboard. When you were born, God put his image on you. You are the representation of the rule and the reign of Almighty God. And that's why God said, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a man and woman in my image, and I want them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why? He wanted the earth to be filled with little pictures of his rule and his reign and his glory. And that's who we are. We're image bearers. We're pictures to the world of God's rule and his reign. And by the way, a little side note here. Back in the day, if king made something in his image, a coin, statue, whatever, and you harm that image, you desecrated that image, you're in trouble. Why? Because back in the day, an assault on the king's image was considered assault on the king. And so have you ever like stopped for just a second and thought about why murder's wrong? I mean, have you ever just kind of stopped and thought, why is murder wrong? Why is it in the 10 commandments? Why did God say you can't do this? Why do we intrinsically know that it's wrong to murder someone? And here's the answer. Because when you kill someone, when you, when you end someone's life, then you are ending the life. You're killing someone that bears the image of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I was thinking about it as I was writing this, and I was like, man, do y'all remember what the scripture says that Satan does? Like what he does, what he's about? It says he prowls around like a roaring lion doing what? Seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. And all of a sudden that makes all the sense in the world why he does that. Why does Satan love to kill? Why does he love to destroy? And here's the answer. If you want to know why Satan loves murder, If you want to know why Satan loves abortion, if you want to know why why Satan loves war, if you want to know why he loves human trafficking and mass shootings and rape and torture, if if you want to know why Satan loves when when the races are at each other's throats, it's because when he's killing and stealing and destroying and we're killing and stealing and destroying people, what we're doing is we're killing and we're destroying the representation of the rule and the reign of the one that he hates the most, which is almighty God. He loves it. When the image bearers of God are destroyed because they're a picture of the rule and the reign of the one that he hates the most. And so guys, I don't care what politicians say. I really don't. I don't care what Fox News says. I don't care what SNBC says. I don't care what bloggers say. We've got to get to the bottom of the question of why as Christians should we love life? Why should we fight for life? Why should we place value and dignity on every human life? The answer is pretty simple. Because God does. And his story is always a better story. So we're going to watch a video real quick about a family in our church. And uh, keep that in mind, that all of us are the handmade artwork of God.